This is the EAE Podcast, and I'm Laura Rumbly, your host. Thanks so much for listening in. If you're new to our series, welcome. If you're a regular, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening app, and that you'll share the series with anyone you think might be interested in hearing our wide-ranging conversations with colleagues from around the world. This is episode number 15, in which we're in conversation with Robin Matras-Helms, Assistant Vice President for Learning and Engagement at the American Council on Education. ACE, or ACE as it's commonly referred to, defines itself as the major coordinating body for higher education in the United States. 1,700 U.S. colleges and universities are members of ACE, which was founded more than 100 years ago, in 1918. ACE leads advocacy efforts to shape public policy around higher education in the United States. They also focus heavily on institutional capacity building through innovation, improvements in equity and access in U.S. colleges and universities, and diversifying the higher education leadership pipeline in the United States. Crucially for this conversation, ACE is also deeply involved in supporting internationalization of higher education in the U.S. Training, outreach, advocacy, and analysis are all elements of this work. As you'll hear in our conversation with Robin, optimism, uncertainty, and new realities are all part of the picture as the U.S. moves forward in 2021. So Robin, you and I are having this conversation at the very end of March, 2021. That means we've concluded one year of living with a global pandemic. We are also closing in on the end of the first 100 days of the Biden presidency in the U.S. And very importantly to you and your work, the American Council on Education has just concluded its annual meeting. There is a lot that we could potentially dive into there. And as challenging as it may be to begin to get a handle on all of that, I was wondering if you could give us some general high-level impressions about the state of play of international education in the U.S. at this moment. Absolutely. Well, I think the first word that comes to mind actually is optimism. I think we've seen a notable change in tone and some initial concrete changes in policy with the new presidential administration. We do see vaccines going into arms. And I think overall, we've really kind of surprised ourselves with what we can do in this field. Uh, I've been so impressed by the kind of the scrappy creativity that we've discovered in the last year as institutions and professionals in international education have had to pivot from physical mobility to virtual exchange, creative solutions to engaging our international students who maybe are not actually with us on campus at this point. And so I think, that that sense of creativity and that pushing the boundaries is going to continue. Uh, so, so definitely optimism. Maybe a little bit on the negative side, there's definitely recognition that there are still challenges to come. Uh, we're not done yet. There's definitely more policy action needed, particularly around immigration and other policies that are impacting our international students. ACE just uh, a couple of weeks ago sent a letter to the new administration outlining some of these concerns and some recommended action. So we're working on that, but there's definitely a road ahead to go still. And the uncertainty persists. Uh, So even though the vaccines are happening, we're now reading about variants and spikes in infection rates in some places. And so what the fall semester is going to look like for our campuses still isn't clear. And that makes planning hard. I I do think there's sort of a level of uncertainty fatigue also, and never quite knowing what's coming around around the bend next. And there's going to be more pivoting to come. Um, So this question of 
what are we going back to? Maybe not everything. We've really learned some things again in this period of creativity. And so as we revert back to in-person travel and other possibilities to go back to what we were doing, I think we're gonna need to figure out a balance of what do we go back to and what do we keep? What do we keep doing virtually? Um, whether that's events or mobility, and uh, that's going to require yet more more pivoting in this time when we're we're already a little tired out from pivoting on the pivots to the pivots at this point. The last thing I would say too, though, um, to kind of end on a, a positive note, is that we really are seeing commitment to international education, and that's been really heartening throughout this entire process and even the years that preceded the pandemic. The pandemic, I would say, has underscored the interconnectedness of the world, maybe like nothing else, uh, in a negative way with the spread of the virus very quickly around the world, but in a positive way with the vaccine development uh, that really was a global process. These have highlighted the need for global learning and given us some new ways to kind of new arguments to articulate the importance of international education. And in just sort of a very concrete way, we've seen uh, full cohorts of our internationalization laboratory program uh, that started last fall and then coming into the program starting in August, uh, which is a pretty big commitment to a concerted strategic planning process for internationalization and that campuses are making that choice, even in very difficult times uh, with tight budgets, I think is very, very heartening about the commitment. I would also say that we are in this field seeing a renewed commitment to equity in ways that we haven't previously. So with mobility halted, we've really had to reconsider what we do and what international education means and how students acquire global competence. And the longstanding racial inequities that have come to the fore in the U.S. in the last few years, I think, have brought about a genuine focus on racial and social justice that in this field has been needed, but we haven't necessarily had. And some more concrete strategies to bring together the work that's focused on diversity, equity and inclusion on our campuses and our internationalization work. So I'm heartened uh, on that front as well um, and the commitment to, to really hopefully moving the needle in much needed ways. That's a really fantastic overview. I, I really appreciate sort of the pros and cons or the highs and lows, you know, of the lived experience right now with international higher education in the U.S. And I think, um, you know, that term of uncertainty fatigue is very real in a whole bunch of contexts. Um, and, uh, you know, something that we all are going to have to attend to, aren't we, as we move forward into still uncharted waters ahead. So one of the very important things among the many that ACE does with respect to international education in the U.S. is its major survey of internationalization on U.S. campuses, which I know you aim to try and put out every five years or so. You're undertaking this work now, I believe. Given how much has gone on in the past five years, and particularly in this past year, do you expect to encounter a you know, quite altered scenario from the last iteration of the survey? Can you give us a little insight into what you might be expecting on that front? Yeah, and, and you're right. The survey is actually in the field right now, the 2021 iteration. Um, we expect to be collecting data through the calendar 2021 year. And the design of the survey was a major challenge this time around, given everything that's transpired, particularly in the last year. Uh, so this is the fifth iteration of the mapping survey, and our goal with this study is to provide a snapshot of internationalization at a given moment in time, but also to provide a longitudinal picture. Um, so we have to have that consistency of survey items. Uh, this will be uh, over 20 years at this point, so the, the power in being able to map those trends is considerable. But we also realized that right now, institutions' responses would likely be very different doing it now than it would have been even 
uh, a year prior. And so what institutions have been doing in terms of internationalization may have looked really different for the first four years we're trying to cover from this last year. Um, and that that would skew the longitudinal picture that we're really trying to, to aim for here. So we spent a lot of time on the survey and sort of trying to figure out how do we deal with this. Our solution was that for some of the survey items, we've divided the responses basically into two parts, asking people specifically to answer for the period of January or 2016 through January of 2020, and then for February 2020 to the present. And then we've also added some items that specifically ask about the impact of COVID on strategies and, and looking forward as well. So in terms of differences from the last survey, I do think that we're going to see some pretty clear differences between the pre-COVID and COVID era activity that will come out in this survey. Almost certainly a greater emphasis on the use of technology to facilitate internationalization, whether through virtual exchanges or international student recruiting um, and other areas. More broadly, though, I am, I am somewhat hopeful <laughs> that we'll see some increases in support for international students um, with a trend towards declining numbers in the US, uh, even prior to the pandemic, certainly exacerbated by the pandemic. I'm hoping that we're gonna see institutions that have focused more on providing a positive experience and really making sure that international students succeed. That was a gap that we saw last time in 2016, a lot of emphasis on getting students to campus, uh, but not so much on supporting them once they arrive. So I'm somewhat hopeful that uh, that has garnered attention and that we're gonna be moving in the right direction on that front. I also think that one of the most interesting areas to watch is going to be sort of the broad priority activities for internationalization. So last time in 2016, both inbound and outbound student mobility were very clearly at the top of the list of priority activities. I'm hoping that with our renewed focus on equity and access to global learning, that curriculum internationalization is going to show up as a greater priority in the past or than it has in the past. Uh, we'll see. I hope so. Very, very interesting to see how that all plays out. Um, and I know the um, the focus on the student experience has also been a really key area of consideration here in the European context. And it brings me to another question I wanted to ask you. I know in February, ACE presented its new vision for the inclusion and success of international students in the US. Could you tell us something about that work specifically? And what I'm somewhat interested in is this idea of whether or not this new vision that's been crafted by ACE speaks to issues that are unique to the international student experience in the U.S., or might there be aspects that you think could resonate, for example, in Europe or elsewhere? Yeah, we are very excited about this report. It was, it was a long time coming. Um, it actually, the project originated three years ago, and the idea came from an ACE graduate research associate who uh, herself is an international student, was at the time and, and continues to be. So it came from international students, uh, is, is a great kind of origin story for this project. So what we realized as we looked across the literature out there on international student success was that it was very often focused on a particular aspect of the student experience. So uh, career development, for example, or on students from a particular region or country. So our goal in this project was to really look across all of that literature and, and across the entire student life cycle and understand the themes and the challenges that cut across all of those areas of the student experience and the kinds of support that are, that are needed. So there was a lot of reading and analysis and a huge amount of time spent extracting and um, developing uh, a coherent picture from all of this. A lot of credit goes to Chris Glass at Old Dominion University and my ACE colleague, Kara Godwin, for their shaping of this 
And then really bringing to it this very much needed equity and inclusion lens that sort of brought everything together and, and framed the way we presented this information. So to your question of how unique is this to the U.S. international student experience, I'd actually step back even further and ask if it's unique to the international student experience. And this was one of the things we initially wrestled with in this study, uh, recognizing that so many of the keys to international student success and the support they need apply really to all students, particularly students, uh, first-generation students, for example, or, or students coming from, from different backgrounds to the campus experience. But what we, what we realized is, again, we dug deeper into literature, was that there are different nuances in all of this for international students, and in some cases, different priorities for what students are, are going to need. And I think that that's the case when it comes to geography also. So the whole report advocates for a human-centered approach. And that approach, uh, approach applies certainly no matter what's the country and the cultural context. But at the same time, there will be variations, undoubtedly, in the particular areas that or challenges that international students will face, given the country and the context and the support they need to succeed, and the ways that institutions structure and deliver that support as well. Another of the topics that we understand that was under discussion at the latest ACE annual meeting, and certainly has been all over the world of late, is this notion of virtual international engagement for students. Indeed, a lot of people pushing back against that wording, even a virtual, perhaps more accurately described as technology mediated or online or digital, but whatever we call it, um, this idea of not being physically present with one another, but engaging internationally and learning internationally somehow through this um, medium of technology. From where you, you sit at ACE and what, and what you've been looking at across the, the US context and perhaps even more broadly, what do you think are some of the key lessons we've learned in that area over the course of this last year? I would say the first and foremost, the power of virtual exchange when it's done well and the global learning that it facilitates. We've just seen some incredible success stories. And again, in this sort of moment of scrappy creativity and, and pivoting, just institutions doing this in, in really exciting, meaningful, creative ways. But I also think the last year has hit home that it's not just about getting the technology right. Uh, deep learning doesn't happen just because the Zoom connection works when it works. <laughs> um, I think we've really seen that the pedagogy and the intentional design of experiences is, is really critical and require deep expertise. And that's for the faculty involved, but also among administrators and others in the institutions that are supporting this work. Uh, so we've actually been really active in supporting virtual exchange for many years, um, and that's been even more so the case this year. Uh, we've been working throughout the year and, and earlier as well uh, with partners in Japan, Norway, Venezuela, and Ecuador, among other places, to provide programs for pairs of institutions to really dive deeply into how to do virtual exchange as well. So kind of on that note of uh, it, it takes a village or it takes a campus to do this, um, we've emphasized in our programs faculty training and pedagogy. So we work directly with the pairs of faculty instructors on developing their syllabi and planning joint activities that are going to bring about this meaningful learning, helping them set global learning goals for their students. We also, though, provide administrative training. So recognizing, again, this array of campus supports that are needed to do virtual exchange successfully and building networks across campus and helping administrators who are in this space connect with each other um, and make sure that they're providing the support that faculty need as well. And then we've also emphasized flexibility in the technology. So um, as part of these programs, we very intentionally 
ask the participants basically to do COIL. So we introduce them to a variety of platforms and tools, and they practice connecting with each other in this way so that they become comfortable with these technologies, setting the stage to work effectively with their students as well. Quill, you mean collaborative online? Oh, okay. yes. Sorry. Um, yeah, it, it, back to your point, Laura, about all the different terms. Um, yes. <laughs> um, so in the U.S., we often refer to, and, and more broadly as well, um, COIL, Collaborative Online International Learning, uh, which originated with the State University of New York or SUNY. So it is essentially a, a particular flavor of virtual exchange. Um, and a particular sort of approach to it. So we have done a lot with COIL in particular, but also have been part of exactly the conversations you mentioned about what do we call this and, and what do we mean that I think are ongoing at, at, at this point as well. So Robin, you and I go back a very, very long way. Um, and it's always such a delight to speak with you. Thank you so much for giving us this insight into some of these really key issues in the US context at the moment. It's always a great pleasure to connect with you. Thank you so much, Laura. I really enjoyed it and look forward to connecting again soon. That was Robin Matross-Helms, Assistant Vice President for Learning and Engagement at the American Council on Education. If you're interested in exploring the recent ACE publication on international student inclusion and success that we discussed in this conversation, please check out the session notes for this episode for a link to that document. You should also know that the EAIE will be offering an online academy focused on providing effective responses to mental health challenges faced by international students. Registration for that academy opens on April 8th, and the online academy itself takes place from April 28th to April 30th. In the meantime, there are a lot of other things going on at the EAE, especially for members. A great example of this is the EAE Mentoring Program, which is currently accepting applications, but not for long. The deadline is April 16th. The mentoring program offers really rich opportunities for both early career and more advanced career colleagues to learn and grow together, personally and professionally. At a time when we're all seeking meaningful connections in our work, this can offer some very special possibilities to develop new skills and relationships. More information on our mentoring program is available on our website, www.eaie.org. And if you're interested in hearing more from the EAE podcast, please do subscribe to us on your favorite listening app. We also appreciate your likes and shares on social media. Your feedback makes a difference in helping us understand how we're doing. Our next podcast episode will be published in two weeks' time. Until next time, then, all good wishes to you from the EAA.